0: First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows.
1: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of the Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you. Among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord.
2: I'd like to think, and certainly my hope and prayer, too, that this time with the Lord could really be a time that will give our day a certain perspective. You know, we can See, in all the Christmas preparation and the hassle and bustle of the season, that this time could slow us down a little and give us that Advent spirit of coming to recognize and receive the Lord who is always coming to us when we take the time to welcome Him, as you certainly have by coming here today. Looking at our gospel for this third Sunday of Advent, which you might know is commonly or traditionally called Gaudete Sunday, because there's a spirit of rejoicing about this day when Christ comes to us soon and we are coming so quick to his nativity. As we look at the Gospel, you might quickly recognize we could divide this into halves. The first half of the Gospel speaks about who is Jesus, and the second half of the Gospel explains who is John the Baptist. And both certainly can go hand in hand, as we begin, of course, with the first half, where we hear that John is in prison, we in fact know that he was placed in prison, you recall, because he had very boldly, prophetically stood up against the king who in his illicit and immoral marriage with his brother's sister and John was in prison and and later he would be beheaded. And he sends some of his disciples out to Jesus to ask him, and let me quote at this point, John in prison Heard about the works Christ performed and sent a message through his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you he who is to come, or do we look for another? Now that quote, he who is to come, is obviously meant to be the Messiah. John's asking, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one that God has down through the ages, through the prophets, told us, would come to save us? It's odd that we would hear this from John the Baptist, because you might recall at the Jordan where he baptized Jesus, there was this great theophany and revelation of the voice from the heaven that spoke, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So it's a little difficult to understand John asking this question except maybe the evangelist is placing this question in the heart and on the lips of John, as it certainly was on the mind of most of the contemporaries of John and Jesus at the time, is Jesus the promised Messiah? And certainly at the time of Jesus and John, they were expecting a Messiah. However, there was no clear idea as to what he would be like. Many people were expecting some kind of strong warrior or a glorious king, much like David, the great warrior king, who established the independence of Israel. And those were the golden years of Israel. So they thought, well, the Messiah would be something maybe like David, only even stronger and better. Other people... We're in hearing and imagining that, much like John was suggesting in his preaching, that the Messiah would be like a judge that would establish right from wrong. It's a little more of a severe image that would be feared more than loved, but that seems to be this image that John is speaking out of, that this judge would come to separate the good from evil and teach right from wrong. In fact, many of the Jews were quite nebulous and ambiguous about what kind of Messiah Jesus would be. As I might say parenthetically, we might wonder at times, who is God? And what is the Lord really like? In terms of how the Lord relates to us in our life. Sometimes I like for God to be a judge when I want him to judge other people, you know. Sometimes I want God to be a warrior when I've identified the enemy. And it seems as though Jesus does not live up to this expectation of a Messiah. So in reply, we're told Jesus says to those disciples who come to question him, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind recover their sight cripples walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the poor have the good news preached to them. It almost seems like Jesus is saying, let your experience, that is the best test of truth, speak for itself. If you want to know someone, look at what they do, look at who they are in their actions. For actions speak louder than words, go Tell John what you see and what the works that I do. In effect, of course, Jesus is not answering them, answering the question directly. However, he is saying, on the one hand, his actions speak very clearly that, yes, he is the Messiah, because the Messiah was one who would come with a great healing power. In the words of Isaiah that Jesus was quoting in the deaf shall hear the The lame shall walk, the dead shall be raised. And also, we imagine that Jesus is trying to redefine and reinterpret what the Messiah would look like and what the sign of the Messiah would be. Not military victory, but a moral, spiritual victory. And so, what these signs are that Matthew writes in this chapter 11 we would have learned if we read the previous part of the Gospel, that in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus did heal the blind. He did heal the lame. There are instances where he cured the leper, where he gave hearing to the deaf and even raised the dead. So, Jesus' actions speak for itself and themselves. And the question we might raise as we place ourselves in the Gospel is, What does our life experience teach us about who Jesus is? If you had to describe who the Lord is to someone who may not believe in Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah, how would you describe him in very practical terms? And this is something we we need to do if we are to keep learning and growing in our intimate knowledge of the Lord. We reflect on what's the Lord teaching me by what he's showing me in my life. What do we see and hear about Jesus working in the world today? And do we go back and share that with others? The second part of the gospel then begins when Jesus takes his attention off himself and places it onto John. He in effect, answers the question, who is John the Baptist? As the messengers of John go off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. He said, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swaying in the wind? Jesus loved to use images like this that were very, what should I say, concrete. Something that was very familiar, especially to the people who were coming down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. The reed was a tall, hollow grass that would grow in the shallow waters of the Jordan. And Jesus was using that as an image of these these tender, flexible reeds or something that's very bending in contrasting who John is, who is stood on such strong, unbending convictions and saying, who did you go out to see? What did you expect? He continues in that line, Tell me, who did you go out to see someone luxuriously dressed? Remember, those who dressed luxuriously are to be found in royal palaces. John, as you might recall from last week's gospel, was said to wear a garment of camel's hair in a leather belt. And you might know, if, if you mentioned this last week, that this was the very clothing of Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament. And Matthew is probably recalling that type of clothing, which may have been kind of rustic, rough type of clothing that John wore. But more importantly, he's taking on this prophetic image. Elijah was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Here John comes as a new kind of Elijah, preparing us for the Savior. So Jesus is saying, who do you go out to see, someone finely dressed or someone who is more concerned about the inner spirit? Jesus may be drawing a comparison to the king, the Herod Antipas, who was very weak-willed and again, he's the one who imprisoned John and very shortly after this passage will behead John because he couldn't stand up on his own convictions. Again, Jesus continues, Why did you go out to see a prophet? A prophet indeed, and something more. It is about this man. The scripture says, I send my messenger ahead of you to prepare your way before you. Jesus is saying John's more than just a prophet. He's, in fact, God's supreme messenger to prepare the way for its Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, Jesus speaks this greatest compliment you could ever, I think, give anyone, especially considering it's from Jesus himself. I solemnly assure you, history has not known a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. Is that a compliment or what? History has not known a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. I want that to sink in. Jesus is saying, They don't get any better than John the baptizer. You got it? Because hear this, yet the least born into the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow. As great as John was, that's how great and even greater we can be. What does that mean? (laughs) because I sure don't feel that. I don't imagine anybody ever thought that about me either. So what does this mean? John, I imagine it, and from what I've studied, this is the conclusion I've come to, that Jesus believes that John the Baptist is the greatest figure of the Old Testament period. He's the culmination and almost the conclusion of the Old Testament times. As even he's beginning this bridge building that points to the new age in which Jesus comes. But anyone who accepts Jesus, who now begins this new age, the New Testament era, anyone who unites himself with Jesus will live in God's kingdom. And this union with Jesus gives us a greater privilege a greater intimacy with the Lord than anyone was blessed to have in Old Testament times who didn't have the opportunity to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Let me say it this way, in this analogy that may help us understand that the least member of the kingdom of God, namely ourselves, can be greater than the greatest of the saints of old, of John the Baptist. Consider The weakest voice in all the world, united to a microphone, is louder than the loudest voice in all the world. True? The slowest person in the world, when connected to an automobile, is faster than the fastest person in the world. True? Similarly, the least among us, the least person in the world, when united entirely to Jesus, becomes greater than the greatest person in the world. Or in other words, the spiritually weakest person in the world that perhaps we are, and I speak for myself, that I am, when we are united to Jesus, we become spiritually stronger and holier, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. We become stronger and holier than the strongest and holiest person in the world. Does that make sense? You see the incredible invitation, what it means to live in the kingdom of God, that is to live entirely united to Jesus, where Jesus, when we live with Jesus, the kingdom lives within us, and we live in God. I know of no better way of explaining this than to share with you the story of a friend who came to me this week and told me the most remarkable story of what the Lord has done for her in her life. It is with her explicit permission and even her encouragement that I shared this story with you, though, in respect to her, her identity will remain anonymous. This young woman came to me just last week and shared with me her struggle with the disease of bulimia, which, you know, is an eating disorder whereby one compulsively overeats and then vomits whatever they have eaten. This young woman who allowed me to call her Barbie, my, my reason for calling her Barbie is that every time I see a Barbie doll, I think of someone who's, who has anorexia or bulimia. You know what I mean? The perfect proportion that's perfectly inhuman, that does suggest something about what the sad image that our society projects that is part of this disorder of thinking I think is part of the social disease in our society. Anyway, I'll call her Barbie, had received psychological counseling for more than a couple years to deal with this eating disorder problem. She, more than that, had read many books on eating disorder, had read many books on self-esteem, had read many books on people who struggled with this disease and how they had overcome it. But nothing seemed to work. Shortly after she left home to go to college, she left the church and abandoned her faith. She never prayed. She never really ever thought much about God. But for some unknown reason, this past August, she began to pray. Interestingly, she said she never really prayed for herself so much as prayed for other people who were hurting and needing help. And then one month later, by September, when she had grown in this new habit of prayer, in this new relationship with Jesus, she noticed that she had stopped binging and purging something that she had done every single day for more than 14 years, and sometimes more than once a day. Since this time, this past September, she has had no relapse, which is quite remarkable if you understand the real problem of of any eating disorder. More than that, she has felt an incredible healing happening within her, more than physical, but spiritual. She now goes to church every single Sunday. She's an active member of a Catholic young adult group. She tutors five junior high school students needing academic assistance every week. And she reads and studies the Bible, the gospel, regularly. When I asked her what was the precipitating event, she said to me, I do not know exactly when or how or even why this healing happened to me. All I know is who has healed me, and that is Jesus Christ. And then she wrote to me this letter when I asked her permission to share this with us today. And I quote, Father Jim, for the first time in my life, I am so grateful and so very thankful for the precious gifts that God has given to me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And she adds, regarding your sharing this experience at the gospel study this week, it is my sincere hope and prayer that in sharing this with others, it may help people with their struggles too. She signs, in his love, Barbie. Go back and tell them what you see and what you hear. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead are raised to life. Is this not such a miracle? And we see this happening, I hope, in our world today as we come to know the Lord and what He wants to do in our life. It's so important for us to open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, to recognize how the Lord comes to us, to our family, to our friends, in the ways we struggle each in our own disorder, disease, difficulty. And He is that higher power that we need in our weakness. He is, if you will, what Jesus himself said, we can be greater than the greatest if we unite ourselves with him. So I would invite our reflection here today to share with one another what we see and what we hear as signs of the Lord working among us. Where do we see signs of the Lord's love taking place. I often think we don't see it in more magnificent ways, but often in more humble, simple, but beautiful ways. Where do you see the Lord? We want to put on these eyes of faith that we could recognize Him as we come to Christmas. He is already among us and He wants to offer us His presence and power we could Experiencing in the world today. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Father Jim's gospel teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website www.htoh.us May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.